can have a seat. Today our psalm comes from 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Fortunately, we're not reading all of it today, starting at 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Today, I really want to focus and talk about this this new love in this new year. I I desire you, God desires you to grow in your love for his word and let that boldly lead you into your new year. Now, it's been our our goal to help everybody experience the Psalms, not just to learn from them, but to experience them, to, to capture the images in your mind and the feelings that that invoke in you. And today the psalm works through this logical progression from from meditating on the word of God to keeping the word of God to avoiding that which is evil. This meditating happens in the first few verses, verses 97 through 99. Now meditation is this slow, deep, thoughtful consideration. Thoughtful, thoughtful consideration. Meditation is, is something that sometimes we associate with Eastern Buddhism, that, uh, that, that Buddhists sit and meditate, but it's also very much a part of Christian practice as well. In previous weeks, we've talked about this as the word mindfulness, that you're focused. That you focus on a verse or a chapter or a theme in scripture and you let that run through your mind over and over again. And you see that You taste it. You read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. It's something that then kind of permeates all of your day. That you start seeing things happen during the day that you've read about already. He sees, I I love your law, the psalmist writes. Now, the, 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 the verb for, the parent verb, the root of law, uh, has this meaning of to teach or direct. And so coming from God, when God teaches and directs us, it means both law and revelation, the, the, the rules that he sets out in front of us, but also revealing to us the broader scope of Scripture. It can be used as a single command, like one of the Ten Commandments, or as the whole body of God's law, or as an even bigger picture, all of God's word, all of his inspired, inerrant word. It reminds us that that revelation is not just for simple knowledge's sake, but obedience, right? We don't just read the Bible to learn more about God, but to learn how to be more obedient to him. And then this word commandment, kind of unpacking more focused concept of the law, is a word that emphasizes the incredible ultimate authority of what is said, not merely the, the order itself, but the authority behind that command. Your command makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me, the writer says. See, God is the the authorities, the first and last word in our life, the, the life of those who follow Christ. 
And then our writer uses this word testimonies. See, Israel was taught to to put the the book of the law beside the Ark of the Covenant that it might be a witness against them, right? A, a, A mirror that reflects when they've done wrong. It's this outspokenness of Scripture with its high standards and frank warnings that are applied and implied in this expression. But so too is its dependability as, as the word of God is faithful and true in its witness. When I hear the word testimony, sometimes you should almost picture this courtroom scene that a witness testifies to what they've seen. And so the word of God testifies about us. It's this true and faithful witness of God. So it's easier to see why the the writer of the psalm says your testimonies are a delight. I love to hear about your witness, God. Of your witness to creation, of your witness to, to Christ himself. That testimony of who Jesus is and what he's done is a delight to read. And he says, I love your law. Well, sometimes that can feel like a very, very strange thing to say. Like the person who is caught speeding when the police officer comes just says, man, I delight in the law. <laughs> you don't really say that very often. No one said that to you, have they? Not a delight in the law. No. So why in the world does he say that? Well, we grow in our understanding of what love is as we age. At least that's, that was the true thing for me. I remember the very first object of my love was my very first dog, Dixie. See, I longed to have a dog, but my parents, we rented uh, apartments and houses, and, and we couldn't ever have a dog where we were, at least my parents said we could never have a dog there, until we moved into our own house. And we moved into our house in Arkansas City, Kansas. I was in third grade, and we got to get my dog. And Dixie was this border collie mutt wrapped up with other things, really indistinguishable. But she was the greatest dog, second greatest dog. She was a great, great dog. And, and I love Dixie. Dixie and I would go on runs together, no leash, no collar. She's just like running right beside me, protecting, guarding. And we had so many adventures in grade school and middle school and high school. She was just a great dog. And then high school happened and my love kind of moved from my dog uh, to girlfriends. Right? And that really wasn't so much love, though. I, looking back, I can see it was more just infatuation. I was excited about the attention that I received and, 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 and what the other person could give to me. Right? And then love then changed in, in, in my life to, to things like career. And I loved, again, the attention that, that people gave me as a pastor. I liked being in front of people and have everybody know who I was and everybody wants to say hi to me. And it was all about what I was receiving. It really wasn't until I got into a life of recovery that I started to see and experience the love of other people and know God's love in a different way, that agape kind of love. The love that doesn't seek to receive but just has a desire to sacrificially give. So love that's shared sacrificially, this agape love that I saw reflected in my wife, that I saw reflected in in men that led me in recovery, that that I saw and experienced from God himself. You grow in our understanding of love. I think our love of the law is much the same way. 
right? Maybe when you first start out or you're in confirmation class and you're learning the Ten Commandments and you, you see these set of defined rules that, that probably as, as a middle schooler you look at it as, well, this is really limiting my life if I live this boring way of following the Ten Commandments. But as you grow and you develop, you start to understand, boy, this isn't a set of rules that God wants to use to restrict my life, but this is, this is a set of guidelines that God wants to bless me with because this abundant life that happens when I live according to them. So that we get to a place in maturity of our faith where we say, God, I love your law. I love it. I love your law. And then we move from this concept of meditating on God's word to keeping it, right? Because scripture is so much more than about just teaching us about Christ. There's an obedience that comes with following him, a giving up of your will to accept the will of God in your life. The psalmist says, we keep your precepts. Now, this, this word precept is more like a, a detailed list, a, a very detailed instruction, so some, some mothers, when they put together a great big meal like many mothers did this, this, uh, this past couple of weeks for, for either New Year's or Christmas or Thanksgiving, there's like everything has its place. My mother-in-law is no exception. I don't know if she's listening today or not. My mother-in-law has post-it notes set on every dish so you know exactly what goes in this dish. The, the olives and the pickles go in this dish. The mashed potatoes will go in this dish. The barbecue chicken goes in this. Everything has its place. And my goodness, if you don't put it where it belongs, everything has a precept. God's word is just like that too, giving us detailed descriptions of what we're supposed to do. And this results in wisdom and understanding. You see, worldly wisdom is gained through education, is gained through experience. Scripture wisdom, God-given wisdom, God-fearing wisdom doesn't come that same way. It comes by exposure to his word. And so you can have elderly people who are idiots and you can have young people who are wise beyond their years, scripturally speaking. It's because godly wisdom comes from God. It comes through his word, it comes through his sacraments, it comes through fellowship with others. It comes through a love of God's law, a love of God's word. Now please don't hear me, I don't, didn't say that all elderly are idiots. That was not what I said. Because this church is blessed with so many people who are giants in the faith. Not because of what they do, but because of who they love. And their love for Jesus Christ. And their love of his law. We are to keep these precepts. And then the psalmist moves to what to avoid. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. You picture somebody carefully watching where they put their feet. Now mowing, this is very important as I mow my backyard. Because my backyard is populated with two major hazards for mowing. I have, like I said, a dog, a, a large dog who makes large, thank you. I also have a backyard that's backed up to conservation. So there's a, a lot of wetland back there and a lot of really nasty, slithery, uh, slimy, uh, snaky kind of things. So when I mow, I mow with my head down because <laughs> I'm looking for either things that stink or things that bite. You want to watch where you put your step. 
to avoid evil ways. So what are evil ways? You know, some that, that just follow ourself, right? We're either, we, whether we're selfish or we're, we're self-sufficient or we're, we're controlling our own lives around us or we're self-indulgent or self-medicating. The Apostle Paul writes this list. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Jesus puts together a similar list. He says, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, as, as, I, as I read through those lists... And if I were to just ask for everybody to raise your hand, I'm not going to do that, but just ask if, raise your hand if you read or heard one of those words and you go, oh, that, that was me. Right? We should all have our hands up at that point in time. Because we're fallen, we're broken, and these evil things are just inside us. To avoid evil and stick to loving God's word. Right, the psalmist says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. You see, back in, in Bible times, there, you, there, were, there wasn't like stevia and, and all of these like sweeteners that, that were existent that, that we have now. They're just honey. Honey was a natural uh, means of receiving sugar, of making things sweet. For those of us who have a sweet tooth, that's a, that's a really vivid image, right? Especially in this season when the kitchen is filled with cookies and, and candies and sweets and cakes of all kinds. Now, me personally, I'm not a dessert guy, so I don't really have a sweet tooth. For me, if I were writing this psalm, if I was the psalmist, I would say, your word is like a Wagyu steak dripping fat into my mouth. Right Now, that's something I can really get behind. Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament, says something very similar to this. When he eats the word of God that he's called to proclaim, it tastes like honey to him. Right? The word of God may be law or a message of condemnation, but even then it's still sweet as honey because it ultimately pulls us and points us to the sweetness of the personal word of God. Jesus Christ come to earth, the word wrapped up in flesh. It shows us our Savior. Now, if we take this lens that we understand in this, this loving God's law so much and we apply it to, to a, a text of, of Jesus, this time of year it's traditional to take a look at the, the account of Jesus in the temple, right? Not as an adult, but as, as a young person. You see, every year Mary and Joseph and Jesus had the tradition of going to, going to Jerusalem. And you go to the temple and you... you, you Celebrate the Passover. You do this every year. And one year when they went, uh, it was time for them to go home. Mary and Joseph get their stuff all together, assume that Jesus is off playing with the other kids in the group that they traveled with, and they travel together with that group back home. It takes them a day to realize they don't have Jesus. Jesus is still back in Jerusalem. And so they spend the day going back to Jerusalem. They spend three days in Jerusalem. That's five days that they've been without their grade school Jesus. And they find him in the temple. And Jesus is asking questions 
of the teachers of the law. And he's sharing his wisdom and sharing his understanding and their minds are being blown by what Jesus is saying. And Jesus continued to increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God. So we take a look at that account through the lens of this psalm. We see that Jesus, I mean, he was the greatest at meditating on God's word because he was God's word. He was the word of God wrapped up in flesh. He had the first and foremost knowledge of the word of God. His knowledge was better than even the teachers of the law. Now, Jesus asked them questions not because he didn't know. It's not like he said, so what was the, what was the second verse in, in the third chapter of Deuteronomy? What was that? He didn't have to do that because he is the word. He rather, you look at Jesus' teaching, he often taught by asking questions. See, Jesus asked questions not to grow in his understanding, but to test and check the understanding of the person he was asking the question to. He always knows the answer to the question that he's asking. It's a good parent move, by the way. And he's stretching and growing their understanding of God's word. And then keeping this law, keeping the word. We know from the gospels that Jesus not only knew the word, but he fulfilled it. Right? He fulfilled the law in our place. He fulfilled all of the prophecies of Jesus written in the Old Testament. He even faced down Satan in the desert, defeated all of his temptations by using the word of God. And Jesus did an amazing job, a perfect job of avoiding every evil thing. Right? Never once did Jesus sin. That is so critically important because only that, only the fact that Jesus kept the law perfectly enabled him to be the perfect and blameless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If he committed one sin, he would no longer be that perfect sacrifice that he was. But he kept the law perfectly. That's called righteousness. And he gives that righteousness to us. Even though we are far from perfect, far from holy, he makes us perfect and holy by giving us his righteousness. So let's take a lens now and look at our own lives to meditate. You know, there are many times that I read the law and I feel convicted and I move to either repent or rebel even more. However, there are some times where I read the law and I actually taste what seems like honey. So maybe, maybe put it in terms of like this. Sometimes there's, there's husbands that just wish their wives would tell them exactly what they want them to do. Like, I just want to know. So that I can, I can fulfill that, that expectation that you have. I'm more than happy to do it. I'm just not a mind reader. I don't know what that is. Just tell me. And the wife says, and you go, I can do that. That's what God's doing here with his law. He gives us an exact account of what we do to show our love to him. See, we don't keep his law so that we can go to heaven. There is not a single person in this room, myself included, who can keep God's law and earn our way to heaven. That is not what we use God's law for. Today, because of Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law in our place, he gives us forgiveness every time we fall short. But God gives us his law today still so that we know how to show him our love. That we keep and obey his laws to show God I love you. 
I just want you to know I love you, and that's why I'm doing these things. That's why I have a, a hunger to love your word. That's why I have a hunger to do things for other people who, who need help and assistance. To meditate on this law. Now, sometimes our devotional time can get lost in a very busy, hectic culture. Um, so we go to like fast, easy devotionals or like a one-minute Bible or a 30-second Bible or a fleeing moment Bible. That's not really savoring, right? That's like, that's like eating your really steamy, hot, bland, canned peas. They were supposed to savor it. Now, for me, slowing down and taking time to devote is something that I have to personally do very intentionally. So I have a, I have a practice that, that, that I use that's helpful for me because I'm a speed reader. I can blow through chunks and chapters like there's no tomorrow. But that's not how I want to devote my time with God. I want to take time and go slower. So I have this process of slowing down. And it looks like this. I take 10 verses. Right now I'm in, in the middle of, Tim, uh, middle of Titus. And I take 10 verses starting Monday. And I start reading those 10 verses. I process them. I read, mark, learn, inwardly digest them. I journal about them. I pray about them. And then Tuesday morning, I do the same 10 verses. Wednesday morning, I do the same 10 verses, and I start thinking I should really read ahead because I get it now. But Thursday morning, when I read those same 10 verses, and Friday morning, and Saturday morning, and Sunday morning, when I read those same 10 verses, I start to see things and understand things that I didn't get before. And those verses are, are almost committed to memory at this point. And I can see them living out in my day. And I can see things happen in my day that I can connect back to those verses. That I have to slow down in order to really read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that exact same process. And, and, but I am prayerfully asking you to grow in your love for the word of God. Rhonda's been doing a great job holding up the importance of digging deeper into that with our staff and, and hopefully uh, for larger, larger numbers of people. But to, to find some kind of reading plan that you process through the word of God. Maybe it's a Bible, read the Bible in three years or read the Bible in one year or read the Bible chronologically or maybe read the Bible in a version that you haven't read before. Maybe switch the translation that you're using. But dig into God's word and find it fresh and new to meditate on it. And not just meditate on it to learn about it, but to, to, to grow in your awareness of, of where to step in life. To step in ways that, that pursue those good things of God, following his commands, avoiding what is sinful and difficult in our life. And you do that, and you grow in your love for that, and you face this new year, and maybe some of you are nervous for this new year. Maybe some of you are excited for this new year. Maybe some of you are just glad that 2020 is done. But I can promise you this, that if you grow in your love for the word of God, this new year will be one of your best. Not because if you devote yourself to God, God will make everything like sunshine and roses. But I can guarantee you that everything you face in this, this life, in this next year, you will see as good. You will see God working through every single circumstance to bring goodness into your life. 
Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of your word. You don't give us this command to just go out and do the very best we can with no instruction. But you've given us incredible accounts, incredible testimonies of your stories throughout Scripture that we are to, to live and breathe within our own lives. I pray that you would move everyone listening today to have more of a love, a hunger for your word, that as we taste your word, it's sweet as honey to us, that we savor it, that we let that word of God grow its work in our lives, that the Holy Spirit promises to work through your word and never return to you void. Father, as we approach this new year, remove all fear, worry, anxiety, and fill it only with a bold confidence in you. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.